Yeah, how's everybody doing? Yeah. Man, after that worship set right there, like, like I love it. I was in here this morning, I was listening to the band, and, and it was like every song that came out, I'm like, man, I love this song. No, but I, I really love this song. And then the last one, man, death was arrested. There was just such a freedom. So thank you for joining us this morning. If you would, turn to the person next to you, give them a fist bump and say, I'm glad to see you this morning. Man, you have come on a very special day here at Ridgepoint Church for a number of reasons. First of all, I don't want to forget this. Where's Caleb at? I know I saw him earlier. Where's Caleb's walking right up here. Caleb is getting married this afternoon. Man. <laughs> Hallie is getting ready, but, but Caleb said, I want to be here at church this morning. Uh, so Caleb's getting married this afternoon. There's a bunch of really cool stuff that's happening, including today I get a chance to kick off a brand new series here. And I said this last week, it doesn't get much more Polk County than this. We're starting a series called 10-4. Now, there's a reason behind it, but, but actually growing up, when, when I was in high school, I hung out with a lot of guys that were like wrestlers and stuff. I wrestled for a little bit, and, and a lot of my friends, my influences early on was, uh, was, was wrestlers, which might be part of the problem. I'm not sure. Um, but, but one of the guys, and it wasn't like him at all, but one of the guys when I was a senior in high school, he got really big into CBs. Now, how many of y'all owned one of these right here? There's a handful like, no, that wasn't me. But, but, but the funny thing is that, that that wasn't really the group of guys I hung out with. But, but because my buddy Tony got into it, he actually had this big tower at his house, this big station. And so he started giving us all CB so we could communicate around the city. We, were, we lived in St. Pete, so it was kind of a big city. And so we'd drive out and, and see how far we could communicate with him. Then we learned that the signal actually bounced off the water. So we'd go to the beach and see. And he'd have this giant tower, and we could hear him for miles. And the thing I discovered is, is they gave me a small one for my car, and I put the magnet on my car, and they said, listen, if, if you're going to have a CB, you have to have a handle. And his handle was chainsaw. That sounded really cool. And so they said, we need a, a handle for you. And so they gave me the handle Rubber Duck. <laughs> now, some people are going to know what Rubber Duck is from. What movie is it from? Convoy. There's a few people that saw that movie. So I got this nickname for, I think it was Chris Christopherson that was in the movie and they drove these trucks. And, but the thing that I started to learn was that people who operate CB radios, they have their own dialect. They have their own way that they speak. You can't just get up and, and start to talk because everybody would know that you don't have any idea what you're talking about. And so you'd grab the CB and you'd say something like this. You'd, 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 point, you'd hit the clicker and you'd say, Breaker, breaker, one, nine. Anybody out there got your ears on? And it was like, nobody else knew what was going on, but the people there, they knew. There was like this lingo they used. And everybody else who was in that world knew how to communicate. They knew things like a bear was a what? Police officer. And a bear in the air was a police officer in the sky. There's all these different terminologies that they'd use. And for most of us, because we've seen enough of the TV shows or movies growing up, we caught a little bit of it. But the one thing everybody caught was this one, 10-4. Because 10-4 means I hear you loud and clear. I get the message. Well, today, we're using today, which is a special day we're going to get to in just a second, to begin a conversation this week and next week about vision and how it's important for us first to clearly communicate the vision, and then for every one of us, not just the staff, not just the leadership, but for every one of us then to say, 10-4, I hear you loud and clear, and you've communicated, and I'm accepting that vision 
because we want to push forward as a church and be able to accomplish that vision. And the only way that happens is by each one of us saying, 10-4, I hear you loud and clear. So what is 10-4 if it isn't just about communicating? What is it actually about? We haven't really built this up, but 10 years ago this coming Wednesday, Chris Neff and I both came on staff the same exact day, August 1st, 2009. And so this coming Wednesday marks 10 years that we've been here at Ridge Point Church. And as we've kind of developed over the years, we're going to talk a lot about the vision where it's been for a long time. And then next week, we'll talk about the vision where we're going. But as we've talked about that, we've kind of developed four core values. And so today, we're going to break down 10 years and the four core values we've had as a church. And then next year, we look, uh, next week, we look at what does that look like moving forward. But before I get a chance to share the message, I've asked Chris to join me for just a second, because you're going to hear me talk about this a lot. Everybody give it up for Chris Neff. But I want to hear some from his perspective, because I know what it was like for me. I've been involved in church ministry. I was a youth pastor for a long time prior to me being here at Ridgepoint Church, and I was brought on staff here first as a youth pastor. But Chris, you're in education. You're an assistant principal at a high school. That's, in many ways, that's a huge transition. What was that like for you, making that transition? Uh, well, it, it kind of came about in, in a roundabout way. And, uh, you know, I, I told JJ when, when he first asked me this question, you know, I, I kind of have to give you, you know, my edited version of it because uh, it wasn't really fun at first. You know, I, a, a lot of what happened uh, wasn't fun, but uh, God was using some things to kind of show me um, you know, where I needed to be and, and what, uh, what he wanted me to do. And, uh, but, you know, coming on staff, there were a couple of things, you know, I, I felt really unqualified. Uh, that was probably my biggest thing was, you know, here I'd gone to school, I uh, had a couple of degrees in education, and, you know, all of a sudden now I'm doing something completely different. And so I felt really unqualified, like, I don't know, God, why, why you want me to do this? Uh, you know, there's, there's some family history of ministry there, and, and th- that experience had been, was kind of fresh in my mind, and I'm like, uh, I don't know. And uh, so I felt really unqualified. And 10 years later, I feel even less qualified. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and I think that's part of ministry is that you always feel like, man, there's such a huge task that's out there. Uh, now, now, one of the things, talking about CB handles, uh, Chris, uh, a, a while back, Kevin, that sometimes was working back in the back, he liked to give every one of us nicknames. And your nickname became Man Behind the Scenes. And, and that's I think a lot of people don't always see Chris up on stage. He's always doing the stuff behind the scenes. Uh, but really, as I think God was birthing in you the, the vision for Ridgepoint Church. Now, you were, you were a part of Ridgepoint Church before you came on staff. Yeah, I had, uh, we had been coming here probably about two years before I came on staff. Okay. So you're already kind of bought into the vision, but over the past 10 years, even the last 12 years, what has been your favorite part of being a part of Ridgepoint Church? Probably my, my favorite part uh, of being part of Ridgepoint Church is that our faith is, you know, we, when we explore faith here at this church, uh, we dialogue about it. We talk about it. Uh, I had never experienced that. You know, like I had experienced it to like some degree, but there was never like this organized method by which we dialogue by, about our faith. And so even, even before I came on staff, I realized the importance of that because uh, actually um, something we haven't done in a while, but some of you have been a part of it, 
uh, we, we did a group here called Starting Point, and that was one of the first things that Sherry and I did when we got to Ridgepoint was we were part of a Starting Point group. And like, all the, like I'd never been part of a group where we talked about our faith and talked about our doubts about our faith and, you know, just the things that we are struggling with and all like, like you might have those conversations in other places, but there was no like systematic way that that happened. And so uh, that, that's been huge for me. And I, you know, we were, uh, you guys, a lot of you guys know that right now we're doing a class called Group Hub and we are having this, con- you know, yeah. we, we've been talking about this, that how important it is to let people um, to work through their process of their faith, that it's not just this one moment, all of a sudden, you know, um, I have this faith, it, it's a process. And, and, uh, and so I love that we get to, to be involved in that. Yeah, absolutely. You trust the process and, right. and realize that everyone's journey looks a little bit different. And trust God in the process and not us. Mm -hmm. And and that's difficult because everybody's faith journey does look so different that it's hard because we want to say, hey, just follow these and it's all going to work out and and everyone's journey is different. I love love that idea of of even evangelism being a process Mm -hmm. and and how you do that. Uh, Now, I didn't share this part with Chris, but Chris, since this is a big week for us. I had a feeling. You saw that, huh? Like, well, no, I had a feeling that you you were using these questions as (laughs) some way to get me on stage, so. I asked Chris earlier this week, I said, hey, would you join me up on stage? I got some questions to ask you. But Chris, in honor of 10 years, I got you a little gift. So I want you, but the whole thing I didn't get you anything. And it was your birthday yesterday. It was my birthday yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I don't look a day over 43. But but Chris, I saw this and and immediately you have to open it. Here, I'll hold your microphone. The whole deal is you have to open it up on stage. Otherwise, you don't get to keep it. So (laughs) Chris loves being put on the spot like this too, by the way. So this just screamed Chris Neff. <laughs> There's actually a clothing line called Neff, so I got him a Neff shirt. Everybody give it up for my friend Chris Neff. Thank you. Definitely. So, man, we love to have fun, but we also love to talk about vision. And it's hard for me to imagine that it, it has been 10 years. In some ways, it feels like about 10 minutes. But, but I want to share a little bit about the journey that, that God had me on to come to Ridgepoint Church. Because back when I was a student in, in college, I was at University of Florida when God really started to uh, break me down about just really what it meant to have a relationship with him. And, and like Chris is sharing, for me, uh, that was a journey. It took me a while to get there. And I was 19 years old. I didn't have a lot of church involvement growing up. Often on my family would go to church, but it wasn't consistently at all. 18 years old, a friend of mine invited me to go to church, and I started to realize what it meant to really have a relationship with Jesus, and I went away. My lifelong dream was to be at the University of Florida, and that's, that's where I wanted to be, and, and I got there, and I found myself, even though I was fulfilling like my, my lifehood dream, this is what I wanted to do, I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't fulfilled, and I found a small church up there that I got plugged in. I started serving in a little bit and I was coming home a lot on weekends because by that point I'd met my future wife and we want to spend some time together and so we're hanging out some going to church as well. And God just started to prod me about, man, you're supposed to do something different than what your lifelong dream has been. And, and I said, okay, as, as long as it doesn't involve me publicly speaking, I'm, I'm good. Because for me, when I was even 18, 19 years old, I hated speaking in front of people. Ironic, isn't it? Uh, but, but so I transferred to the Christian college that, 
that my wife was at. And at that point, the first semester, I was, I was a junior coming in, so I just had a couple of years left. And the first semester, I took a whole bunch of classes to kind of get caught up because I was switching majors. I knew it was going to take a long time. And about the third class, I had a guy come up to me, and he said, hey, you've been in every one of my classes. We should probably start talking. And I came to find out that the first semester, I had five classes, I think it was, with our former pastor, Tim Collins. Now, the point, neither of us were in ministry yet. We just kind of had become friends. We went to college together. And I was learning so much from him because I didn't really come from the church world. And we are just friends. We are just buddies hanging out. And, and after he graduated, he started here as the pastor at what was then First Baptist Janfield Village. Uh, that was a while ago. But he started off as a pastor, and he started going through uh, what, what God was leading him to do there. In the meantime, I had become the youth pastor at First Baptist Pinellas Park which was a very traditional church that wanted to stay a very traditional church. But what God started doing in youth ministry was incredible back in Pinellas Park. And, and so what would happen is every six months or so, we'd get together just to have lunch, just to get caught up. We were, we we're college buddies who just said, hey, man, I want to find out how your life is going. And as I started to hear the transition that was taking place as First Baptist Janfield Village was becoming Ridgepoint Church, and as God was giving me this vision for what was becoming what we call the body at First Baptist Pinellas Park, we started going from, hey, just kind of hanging out and talking to let's encourage each other because our journeys are looking strangely familiar. What he was doing in, in church, I was trying to do in youth ministry, and, and God was blessing in both of those areas, and, and I knew the challenges that he was facing. And so at first it just became, let's encourage each other and pray for each other. It didn't take very long until, I think deep down in the recess of our hearts, both of us were like, man, it would be awesome one day for this whole thing to come together. And I want to share today why that was, because back then, and, and, and this was going back probably 13, 14, 15 years, maybe even longer, uh, I started listening to podcasts that, that Rich Point was putting out. I started listening to the content and saying, man, I love the freedom that they have, and I love the content that they're doing. I love just their passion for, for reaching people that nobody else is trying to reach. And ultimately, what attracted me to be a part of Ridgepoint Church wasn't a friendship, but it was really the vision behind it. And it's a vision that I think, because this is really important, when we talk about vision, whether we talk about vision for a church or whether we talk about vision for our individual lives, I think there's a couple of things we have to note about vision is that vision should, first of all, be based upon Scripture, be based upon the teachings of Jesus, and really be based upon what was God doing within the life of the church a lot of people get out and say, well, I think God gave me this vision. And, and it sounds really big and grandiose, but it isn't really a part of what God's trying to do in their life. What attracted me so much to what Ridgepoint was doing was that they were looking at Scripture and saying, how can we do this in a way that we're really going to fulfill what Jesus has for the church? And there's a verse that Ridgepoint, especially in the early days, we talk about a lot still, would often use. And I want to look at that verse in just a second, but I want to lay the foundation for it. It's in the book of Acts chapter 16 and verse 19. But in this verse, what's happening is, is the, the book of Acts is the history of the early church and, and the message of Jesus is spreading. And what's happened prior to Jesus is that most of the believers, not all, but most of the believers are, are Jewish believers who hold fast to the law and they say, you have to follow every bit of the law up to the point of what, what day the males or boy males are, are circumcised and, and all those things. They have very specific detail in the law that you're supposed to follow. When Jesus comes, he comes not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. 
But then he comes with this, this grace that's there that he starts to reach people that aren't just, they didn't look and talk like the Old Testament believers. And especially as we get into the book of Acts, the message of the, of the gospel of Jesus spreads from being mostly Jewish at the beginning of the book of Acts to everybody by the end of the book of Acts, especially using Paul as this missionary of the Gentiles, spreading the message. And soon, because of what Jesus has done, because of his resurrection, because of what we saw, sung about this morning, the message of that hope is being spread out and thousands of people, sometimes on a daily basis, are coming to know who Jesus is. Well, for the people that are part of that early church that looked a lot like they looked in the Old Testament, that was exciting, but it was also unnerving. Church was looking vastly different. Well, they don't necessarily talk like us, or they don't necessarily look like us, which, by the way, I think is still a challenge within the church today, as a side note. But in particular, they said they haven't always followed the rules that we followed. And so what was happening is there was a group of people, a group of Christians, Jewish Christians who said, I believe in Jesus as the Messiah. But as all these people are coming into the church, we love the fact that they're coming in, but they have to go back and follow all of the Old Testament laws to be permitted in, including if a grown male came into the church as a Gentile, we expected him to be circumcised. And there was this uproar about it. And some people were fast saying, no, we have to do this. And others are saying, no, we shouldn't put that on them. And, and early on, this threatened the consistency and the growth of the church because they're having this division. And so the church and their maturity and being led by God said, we have to figure this thing out. Otherwise, all the momentum that we're building could be stalled over this one issue. And so they convened what's known as a council. And the council was just getting the church leaders together and saying, hey, we have to hear people talk about this topic and figure out what the church is supposed to do when it comes to this particular problem. And so they hear from both sides. And eventually it's James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, who convened, had helped call this Jerusalem council. And it's James's words that we look at in Acts chapter 15, verse 19, and then we make an application to the church today. He says this in response to this debate that's happening. He said, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. They said, listen, you're adding all the stuff that when Jesus died, he died to obliterate that. That's not necessary anymore. And you're trying to add to the grace that Jesus tried to show. And so he says, you're adding to it. And we're supposed to make this as simple as possible for Gentiles who are turning to God. And so they kind of clung to this verse and said, this is what we want to use to, to start to put together the building blocks of what is Ridgepoint Church. And the reason why it resonated so much for me was because I was at a church. Again, that was very traditional. And we would get together and we'd have church business meetings to vote on things like, what color should the carpet be? If people didn't like it, they got mad about it. And they left. And there are people that are coming in and they're saying, hey, I'm going to come check out this church. And people are fighting over the color of the carpet. And the world would look at that and say, that's why I don't go to church right there. Literally, one of my mentors, he spoke here a couple of years ago, came into that church. He tried to change things up a little bit. They didn't like to be changed up a little bit at all. And he tried to come in and change things up and shake things up a little bit. And there's a group of people that loved it and they supported it. But one of the things that they did was they got rid of the organ. Yeah. 
You can imagine how well that went over. And I'll never forget because he was only there for a few months. I learned so much under him just in those few months. But I'll never forget there was a guy who left when this pastor had come on because of all the changes that were taking place. And the organ had been moved upstairs somewhere. I didn't even know where it was. And, and eventually the deacons got together and removed that pastor because they didn't want to move forward at all. And I'll never forget sitting in the, the back of the church that first Sunday that my mentor, that my friend was removed as a pastor. And I had to come in and I'm like, man, I'm struggling today just to come. And I walked in and this guy who used to play the organ walked up to me. And the first words out of his mouth, I hadn't seen him in months. First words out of his mouth weren't, how are you doing? The first words out of his mouth is, when is the organ being moved back? And they said this, he said, you can't worship without an organ. I thought, man, this right here is why people struggle. We make it difficult for people who are far from God because we fight about things that honestly they're not really worth fighting about. We do things because, well, the church has kind of always done those things. They're not biblical. They're not even historical church practices. They're just things that churches have kind of caught on, and it's become tradition that they do. I heard about someone just recently, and I hear Ridge Point Church, but someone just recently who came in and sat in a pew at a church. And I thought, I thought we'd just make these stories up. But they said they came and sat in a pew at a church, and a lady walked up, and they were sitting in their spot in the pew. And, and this was somewhat of a new person at the church. And the lady just sat there with her arms crossed, waiting for it to move. And I thought, in the back of my mind, I thought, man, I thought we just made those stories up. I know they actually happened. But there's so many times that we said, man, we made this so difficult. When really, this is the message. The message of the hope is, is what we just sang about. That when Jesus arose with our freedom in hand, that at that point, death was arrested, that that's the message of the church. We get bogged down in all of these things that really aren't that essential. And so what attracted me first to Ridge Point Church was that verse that brought them to what their vision was as a church. In Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says this, where there is no prophetic vision, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraints, but blessed is he who keeps the law. The second part of that verse is important because the vision has to begin with the law, which is, which is the word. We don't just go make up a vision willy-nilly, but it says this, where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. In some versions, in some versions it says, where there's no vision, the people perish, meaning that we have to have a vision for our life. We have to have a vision for our church. Otherwise, we're kind of wandering aimlessly. And so what attracted me to Rich Point Church early on was this idea that they had a clear vision. They said, we know what we want to accomplish. We know what we're pushing for. And the vision was this. The vision was this. We exist to lead all people in a growing relationship with Jesus by being a church unchurched people love to attend. Now, a lot of times we cling to the second part of that because that is one of our goals. But really the goal is that for anybody who walks in the doors, that we provide next steps for them to say, here's where you're at in your journey. Now let's help you take that next step. You might have been following Jesus for years. There's still next steps for you. If we think we've arrived, we're immature. You might never follow Jesus at all. You might have come in today because some friend invited you and you're like, I'm not even sure why I'm here. I'm not sure about church. That's awesome. There's next steps for each one of us. So our purpose as a church was to lead all people in a growing relationship with Jesus by being a church unchurched people love to attend. But there's a difference in vision 
and the path to that vision of vision path. The vision is this. The vision is what you're called to accomplish. And the, and the vision itself is timeless. Our vision, once we adopted a vision, that should be the vision of our church. That's timeless. That sticks with us. But the vision path, how you accomplish it, is timely. Because watch this. As much as Ridgepoint Church grew those first couple of years in a lot of different ways, church has changed a lot in 12 or 13 years. And so the vision path has to adopt with that. Some things are going to be pillars that are going to hold on to, but the vision path, the vision remains the same. The vision path changes just slightly over the years. Every five to 10 years, it becomes our, our responsibility to look at that and say, what could we do differently? So what I want to do today is I want to look at the vision path as it's kind of been core values that were instilled from the beginning and that we've added to over the years. And then next week, I want to pick that back up and say, okay, what does that conversation look like moving forward? The pillars that we have, that we currently have, that have been part of Ridgepoint Church are these. Number one, we will never define people by their lowest moment. Uh, everybody has a low moment. We have moments where we make decisions. I was talking to a friend just this morning, and, and in the midst of our lowest moments, man, they can be challenging, and we say, I know this isn't, I don't want this one instance to define me. But sometimes we allow it to. Sometimes whether it's what we put on ourselves or we put on others is we allow those bad moments to define us and we think this is just who we are. As a church, every one of us knows that we've had those low moments. We've had those dark thoughts. We as a church don't want to judge people by those low moments and we want to communicate we don't want you to judge yourself by those low moments. The part of the redemption that Jesus brought was that in the midst of our low moment, there's, there's grace and there's mercy and, and that Jesus picks us back up and says, I still want you to experience the very freedom that I died for 2,000 years ago. So number one is that we never want to define people by their lowest moments. Number two is this, life is better together. I know I still, who, who has the life is better together t-shirt? Like for us, that's a big deal for us. Because there's this growing tendency, and I see it more and more as we become a connected culture. We have our phones that we can be on Twitter and Facebook and all these different social medias. We can send text messages. We can send voicemails to each other, like just through text message. We can Apple pay each other. We're connected in more ways than we've ever been connected before. And yet we'll sit there at Thanksgiving dinner and not communicate face-to-face -face with each other because we're looking at what the latest trends are. Life is better together. And we all feel, fall, fall prey to that. We all fall prey to being disconnected and, and thinking, man, I think I can just do a life alone because when I deal with people, it's messy. And sometimes I don't like people. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, I tend to like people, but I know that's... Life is better when we do it together. Life is better when we start saying, man, we need to lean on one another. That's why we push, even though it's a little bit uncomfortable, and I'm teasing a little bit what's coming in a couple weeks, even though it's a little bit uncomfortable, we push people to say, we have to have the group of people who we just organically kind of grow towards. And there's other people who we had kind of forced relationships to spur one another and to push one another towards growth, whether it's relationally, whether it's emotionally, or whether it's spiritually. Life is better when we learn to live life together. Number three is this. You can't outgive God. I think Allison mentioned it this morning on the cards, but the idea that you can't outgive God. Now, it's true when it comes to finances, but it's true when it comes to every walk of our life. 
If I say, God, I know that you've blessed me with, with talents to do some, some things, the best way I can use those talents is within trying to build up what God's kingdom looks like for us. That ministry isn't defined by the person who's up on stage or the person who's called in a full-time vocational ministry, that every one of us is called to ministry. And so this idea that I cannot give God means that whether it comes to uh, the way God uses my, my resources and, and my talents and, and all that, or my tithes, whatever that looks like, that we can't outgive God, that whatever we give, God's going to give back to us. And the final one, the fourth pillar was this. We always bring our best. Now, this is something we've tried to, especially in so the last few years, is that when it comes to what we do as a church, how many of y'all were, and I know a lot of us came from unchurched backgrounds, but some of us come from church or what we like to call de-church backgrounds now. How many remember growing up in a church on a Sunday morning where they had Visitor Sunday? What happened on Visitor Sunday? They, but they try to bring their best out. I mean, they, they want to make sure that if, if, if that's the week that, like, they have their best ushers. Their ushers are going to be dressed to the nines that day, and, and they have their best choir. Everybody in the choir has to be there for Visitor Sunday because we have to look our best. I'll never forget my first Sunday at Ridgepoint Church. Tim was introducing us, and I was sitting kind of over here somewhere. And he came up, and he was giving this message, and he said, Listen, at Ridgepoint Church, every Sunday is Visitor Sunday. Because every Sunday, there's someone visiting for the first time. And, and if we come out and say, we're just going to put on our best when everybody's here, we're trying to invite our friends to that, then someone's missing out on our best, and that's not acceptable. And so what that means is that in every facet of what we do, from our staff kind of setting the vision of where we're going as a church, to our elders who provide the spiritual dynamic to the church, to our trustees who are hard at work saying, what can we do to change up the physical property here at Ridgepoint Church? To team leaders that are helping out in different areas. Even some of those team leaders right now that are hanging back with some of your kids so that we can be here this morning to say, man, we want to make sure on every Sunday as a church that we're always out here to bring our best. So we kind of said these are kind of the four core values of, of what we do as a church. We've kind of instilled those over the years saying we want to make sure we focus on these things. And, and it's not that those things are going away. Some of them will just be changed up a little bit. But we've said this is where we've historically stood as a church. These are the things we focus on. And, and they're always going to be part of our history and what we do. But I want us to get this because vision, if left on paper, isn't vision. It's a dream. Let me repeat that a second. I want us to get that. Vision, if left on paper, isn't vision. It's a dream. Now, I love, I love dreaming with people. When I was first in youth ministry, one of the guys was one of the leaders of the first church. Uh, he and I used to dream of what church could look like. And by the way, the church looked a lot like Ridgepoint Church looks today. We thought, man, if, if we just did church a little bit differently, remove some of the religious jargon and some of the things the church got caught up on, that, man, we could really reach the community that we were in at that point. So much so that there was this giant jumbo sports building. It used to be jumbo sports. It closed, but it was like a giant sports store. And it closed down, and it was, it, man, it was probably 25,000, 30,000 square feet warehouse. And he used to think, man, J.J., if we could just buy that building, which was probably millions of dollars at that point, on a prime location in Pinellas County. If we could just buy that and plant a church there, it would take off. Well, that was awesome to talk about. And we would sit up at night, sometimes dreaming of what that looked like, but there was never a plan to go with it. Vision, 
if left on paper, isn't a dream. It isn't vision. It's a dream. So if we talk about these things, say, okay, yeah, that's cool. We, we're bought and we do those, but we don't actually do them. Then it isn't really the vision of the church. It's on some paper somewhere on my computer or on some file on my computer. But it isn't really our vision until we collectively get behind it. So we want to see, especially as we begin to transition into where we go next week. Andy Stanley says it this way. He has this principle of the path. And he talks about this idea that, and I just forgot what it was now. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines destination. And what that means is we can say we're going in that direction. We say, hey, here's our intent. We want to go there. But if we start going this way, we miss out on actually following the path that God has for us. Direction, not intention. If I want to walk towards that door, I don't just say I want to intend to walk towards that door. But I actually come down from the stage and I start to walk towards the door. And I start to give footprints to my vision of where I want to go. Footprints to my intent. Direction, not intention, determines destination. So how do we do that? I want to give us two things to walk away with. First of all, I mentioned this last week. This is the last time I'm going to mention this. But one of the things that we need to have this coming semester, if we're going to clearly start to reach the vision that we believe that God has for us as a church, is that I'm going to talk about an event in just a second that we want to see more people get plugged in different areas. But in order for that to happen, most of our groups are near capacity right now. We don't have a lot of room for new groups to get started and new people to plug into groups that are currently existing. So one of the things that we really need is new group hosts or group leaders to help out with that process. And so I'm kind of mentioned it last week, but if you didn't be interested at all in hosting or leading a group, uh, just in your connection card this morning, pull out that connection card and just write that down. Chris will get in contact with you this week and talk about what it means to, to host and lead a group and, and, and to see man, if you want to be part of that process because... Coming up in just a few weeks now, August 25th, we're having an event called Family Connect. And Family Connect has, there's a couple of main goals we're trying to accomplish. The RPC kids are going to be there. RPC students are going to be there. Uh, but really, the main thing is for people to connect to groups as well, to hear about the vision of the church. We're going to have the group leaders are going to be there kind of sharing what, the, what their vision is for their group and allow people who said, man, maybe I've been uncomfortable being a part of a group, but I want to be able to take that step this year to get plugged into groups. And so it's going to happen. We'll still have the church service that morning at 1010. It'll be a message kind of about being uncomfortable, getting plugged into groups. But then right outside here, we're going to have this incredible fun event for families. We're going to have tents set up with the group leaders there talking about their groups but we're also going to have inflatables for the kids. We're actually going to have an inflatable for teens and for adults where you get to play like a, a life-size version of um, the name's foosball. There it is. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, so just, just a fun event. There's some awesome games for the kids. We have some food trucks here. It's going to be just a blast. And that's 1130 to 130 for people to get connected to the church overall. Uh, so in order for us to have that, we want to have more groups being offered. So those two things are coming up. If you want to help us achieve that vision through getting plugged into serving within groups, just again, our connection card, write that down. Let Chris get with you this week. But then start inviting people out. We'll start sharing the event on Facebook. Invite people out to Family Connect because ultimately it's a good chance for people that are saying, man, there's no way I'd go to church. We say, man, we have this fun event after church. Come join us. It's going to be a blast. If you have questions about that, come see us. We believe fully as a church 
that we've been living out the vision that God has for us. That we've been saying, man, from the beginning, we, once, once Ridgepoint Church defined what their vision was, that we said, 10 for God, we hear you loud and clear. I got the message. The problem with and a challenge with vision is that vision doesn't just isn't like defined, okay, you achieve the vision. It's a constant process. And next week we begin the discussion of what that looks like for the next 10 years. Let's pray together. Uh, God, I'm humbled this morning to be able to be here and to be able to try to effectively communicate what has happened at Ridgepoint Church over the past, not just the past 10 years we've been here, but over the past 13 or 14 years. Got to know those early years were rough and, and there's a challenge and, and there was fighting about trying to grasp onto this vision. It wasn't easy, but God, I thank you that you uh, saw through all of that to, to bring in the leadership, to bring about some of those changes and to make that vision crystal clear. I mean, this is what we're supposed to do, to be a church that's reaching anybody Churched or unchurched or dechurched. God, I pray that as we begin to have a discussion about what that looks like moving forward, that God, you continue to go before us, that we would see lives changed, that we'd see those people who are so far from God. They said, I would never darken the door of a church. You have no idea what I did last year. You have no idea what I did last week. You don't know what I did last night. And God, our response is, we just want you to come to church. Man, we just want you to hear about this guy named Jesus because literally he's in the business of changing people's lives forever. God, I believe the way Jesus did ministry was just that. I don't think he went out and sought out the people who were really religious. I think he sought out the people who had a checkered past, who had a reputation that wasn't the best. He said, I want to pursue them because, man, when they get it, they're going to get it. They're going to know there's no way they could do it themselves. And, and because of that, because of the grace and the hope that he offered, God, that their lives would be forever changed. God, as much as we talk about vision this morning and wanting us all to catch the vision as a church, God, my prayer this morning is even more so for the person here this morning who says, I don't know why I'm here. I've made some of those mistakes, and I came into church this morning expecting to be judged. God, I pray that, that this morning that that person has discovered the grace and the goodness of who Jesus is. For God, that's what we want to be about as a church, is just simply to point people to Jesus and allow him to guide them in those next steps. Allow him to be the master of the process that Chris spoke about earlier. God, for the person who doesn't know Jesus this morning, I pray today would be that day. That they turn to Jesus and turn away from the stuff that's clogged their life, the sin that has wrecked their life, and to come to really embrace his sacrifice in their place. God, we love you. Thank you. Let that forever be our vision. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.